Wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that could help you sleep, focus, act, or be better? Well, there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. I know because it's definitely helped me too. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has three-minute SOS meditations for you. Need some help falling asleep? They can help you with wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has stuff that you could do with your kids too. And their approach to mindfulness can help you reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Like I said, I use Headspace as well. I used to use it back in the day, then I got off of it for a while to use another tool. But then, honestly, I came back to it, and it's even better. The voicing, the meditation, it definitely, even just with five minutes a day, it really changes everything for me. It's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Incredible. So you deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash SPI. That's headspace.com slash SPI for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash SPI today. This is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 207. Let's get going. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, his favorite voiceover guy is John Mel... John Melly. Hey, that's me. Thanks, Pat. Pat Flynn. What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me today in session 207 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. We're closing in on man, almost the end of quarter number one here in 2006. A lot of amazing shows, and I'm so excited because the lineup is even more amazing in this next quarter. And it starts here with Jess Lively. Yes, her last name is Lively. You can find her at jesslively.com. She is our guest today. She is an amazing person who has an amazing story about how she went from sort of selling jewelry since she was 15 and kind of going down that road and really doing well with that. But then listening to the voice within herself to then make this shift into now online business where she's now making over $200,000 a year doing that. So it's an amazing story and she teaches us how we can listen to ourselves. I think it's really important to, you know when you hear that gut, that like that gut feeling that you have, that guttural kind of reaction to something, like how do you listen to that? What does that mean? Well, Jess helps us break that down. She also tells us how she's been able to build her raving fans and how she's just awesome. So here we go, right into it. Jess Lively from JessLively.com. You're gonna love it. All right, I'm so happy to welcome Jess Lively to the show. Jess, thank you so much for coming on the SBA podcast. How are you? I'm doing great, and it's really a joy and kind of surreal to be on the show. <laughs> well, you know what? You had me on your show twice before, so I only have to pay you back and and, and do this for you. But I, I wanted to do this for the audience because you have so much great stuff to share. We're going to cover a lot of topics today in a very organic manner. Even you said beforehand, this is a very like, hey, you're on the Oprah show, even though I, I don't want to compare myself to Oprah. It's like, we're here. We're just having a conversation. The audience is watching. And so why don't we just start off with you introducing yourself to everybody and tell us your tell us your story. How did you get to where you're at today? Oh, great question. The one that I start with on my show too. So fun to get to answer it. Basically, my name's Jess Lively. I now currently live in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is ironically kind of where this story sort of all began many years ago. I was 15 and started a jewelry business by accident. By that, I mean, I was at a pool making some jewelry for myself and some women bought that jewelry from me and asked me to make it for them. So I made a grand $30 after six hours of working <laughs> next to a pool, which, hey, for you know sitting next to a pool as a 15-year-old, that's a pretty good hourly rate. True. So I just kept doing it. I ended up getting into 12 stores in high school, went to college at the University of Michigan here in Ann Arbor for business thinking, hey, I've got a jewelry business. Let's take over the jewelry world. I realized while I was there that I didn't really want to do jewelry full time. In fact, actually, the business experience that I had and the school experience taught me that having and doing all the things that traditional methods of success teach was not making me very happy. Mm. So I really wanted to figure out what that other way was and then help other people, not only to help myself, but then to share that with others. So I graduated and took that jewelry business that I had and did it full time so that I could 
help people. I thought I had to have a TV show like Oprah because of course, you know, that's how you help people. At least as 22 year old Jess would assure you, <laughs> that's how you do it. So I started the jewelry business and knew that I would be in control of my time, which was great and true. Although people thought I was a little crazy for, you know, going full time right before the recession. So everyone's getting great jobs and they thought, you know, why is she going to go do that silly little jewelry business with $700 that she made, you know, over the course of her, you know, college career and just go start that up. But I knew why I was doing it and it was worth the risks. Well, the jewelry business, I'm curious, when you say you go full-time with the jewelry business, what does that mean? Are you like at home making jewelry? Oh, actually I moved to Chicago. So I had my parents help me zip up everything I had in a U-Haul and take it to Chicago, dropped me off. I had a studio apartment that I decided I could afford (laughs) arbitrarily and said, you know, I I assume that I can pay $800 a month. And that's what I did. I sat in this studio apartment making the jewelry and then schlepping it on the streets in a bag, basically, to all the stores. I ended up getting into around 100 stores eventually. Initially, it was just the first 15 was just all on foot just in Chicago. But I quickly tapped the Chicago market to its saturation (laughs) point. And so I had to get sales reps at that point to take it outside of the city. I didn't know you could do that. You could just you could make something and go to stores that sell those things and just be like, hey, would you like to sell these? things?" Like, first of all, I would think that a lot of people would kind of be scared of that process. What is it about you that means you want to go and do do that, that kind of grassroots guerrilla marketing kind of strategy? Well, I think it's coming from my roots as a 15-year-old starting this. So the other thing that I did when I was 15 was I would sit at a picnic table. My family had a boat in Michigan. So they would take us on these two-week trips and I would be away from all my friends. I had no technology to connect to them with at the time. I think now I'd be Instagramming stuff and feeling really cool about it. But at the time (laughs) I was like, I have no friends. I have to sit on the AIM, you know, AIM on I had to sit on AIM in an internet cafe in order to like connect with friends like for 20 minutes a few times a week while I was there. So I would sit at this picnic table making jewelry, kind of like a lemonade stand, mm-hmm. right? And people come up and I can make a few hundred dollars just sitting and making jewelry and putting it out on the table. People come by and buy it. So eventually I would go on these trips with the boat, like I said, and we'd go to all these little ports and I would bring an Old Navy makeup bag of jewelry into the stores. And I would just ask if they wanted to sell it. And I was 15 and the jewelry wasn't very good, but it was good enough, I guess, just obviously for these people to buy it. So I just got used to those little sales trips initially. What I did when I graduated was I just did the same thing. I just took it to stores in Chicago. So I guess because I had early success when I was little, I mean, if, you know, 15, that Mm -hmm. it just gave me that ability to say that's how it's done. And it can be done that way. It's not always done that way. But basically walking into a store and asking, is the owner or buyer there and giving some compliments to the people that are behind the sales counter? Because you never know who they are. (laughs) They may be someone that you need to have on your side as an ally, or maybe they are the buyer themselves. You stripe up that conversation and show them some of your stuff and have a line sheet. And it's not that bad. Wow. That's pretty cool. So then after... I mean, are you still doing jewelry? Is that what you're doing now? Or what is it that you're doing now? Yeah, so I did it for five years. So right out of school for five years, I did it. I got sick of just doing jewelry eventually. And I never really cared about jewelry. Like I said, this was just a self-employed day job, really. This was not why I was going to be self-employed. It was a stepping stone to doing the work I wanted to do, which Mm -hmm. is a little unusual. But after five years, I had this moment where I was about to hire a manager for the business. And she canceled on me right before I was about to interview her. My team and my interns at the time had done all of this kind of reconnaissance and had figured out who I needed to hire to take on a manager for the company as I started business coaching at that time as well. And she canceled. And I I had this little heart to heart with my intuition and realized it was a sign that it was time to close Jess LC, not to find another manager. Mm. And that's what I did. So I closed it then and started business coaching at that point. I've been blogging for several years by that point as well and was just about to make enough money right around that point. I was making enough money to go full time with the business coaching instead of the jewelry. So I let it go at that point. Although, again, people thought I was crazy at that point because the success of the jewelry business at that point was seemingly hard to imagine you would want to leave since it was such a you know, struggle to go through the recession and to get it going that to then leave it when it's at its biggest surprise a lot of people. So what was it about the business coaching that you felt was more attractive to you? 
Um, well, my intuition led me there. So it, and what I loved about it was it was closer to helping people. Like I said, when I was in college and I was miserable and unhappy with that traditional method of success, I wanted to help people that way, but I didn't, I felt like a green banana. That's how I like to call it. I had this like idea that this is one day what I'd like to share, but I didn't have the authority to truly understand, live it or share it with Mm. others. So business coaching was the first way as I started blogging about living with intention that people wanted to pay me money. Honestly, they started asking me about the jewelry business because they knew I had it and they asked to work with me one-on-one. So that kind of organically flowed from blogging. And I started the blog in 2009. The jewelry business started in 2007 full-time. Okay. And so business coaching, what does that business model look like to you at that time? Is it certain clients and they meet with you over the phone? Like, tell me what that business model is like. Yeah, that was a time trading your time for money. So it would be a few hundred dollars, you know, for a session or two sessions or whatever the package might be. And it's very straightforward. I think, uh, you know, they pay for it. Then we schedule it. I did it on Skype or by phone very rarely, but sometimes I would do it in person. Most of my clients were around the world and internationally. They were literally my readers for the most part of my blog and newsletter that would sign up to work with me. It was really awesome and pretty organic overall. So that's how they found you was through your blog. So as you had your jewelry business, you were blogging. Yeah, I did because I realized I'm going to end up being at the top of this skyscraper. I think it's really important for us to think about what skyscraper we're climbing and why, because otherwise we're just going to climb that ladder and get to the top and realize we got to the wrong skyscraper top of the building. Mm -hmm. So I was getting some traction with the jewelry by 2009, but I didn't want to do that. And I knew I was going to end up being this like millionaire jewelry business person. That is not the point. I would have just basically essentially sold out just in my own company. So I started the blog as a way to document my own journey of living with intention and people started reading it surprisingly. So I just kept going with that alongside the jewelry business. And eventually that income from the business coaching allowed me to close the business itself and, or the accessory side of it and focus on coaching and helping people. Now growing a blog isn't, easy. I mean, a lot of us see other people who've, who've been doing it, but a lot of times the most popular ones have been around for a while. How do you think you were able to grow that following uh, like you did in the, in, in the beginning as you, you know, were sh- kind of shifting your uh, business model? Yeah, actually, it's so funny because I had this jewelry business. I started advertising on other popular blogs around the same exact week, I think, that I actually started my own blog itself. I wasn't expecting anyone to read mine because I thought this is very much like the Martha Stewart, you know, you watch her, but she doesn't write on your blog. You watch her show. She doesn't watch your show. So I didn't realize that people would hop over. But by advertising initially, I'm not saying that this is a model that still is super (laughs) relevant to today's bloggers out there. But that was for me, what happened is they would come click from the cup of Joe ad that I did to my jewelry site and then click my blog link and start reading there. And from that point, I was like, game on. I don't need to have a TV show like Oprah. I can sit in the studio apartment and spend half my day blogging and interacting online. I later did shift my focus from selling to stores wholesale to online retail, which was a really smart move, but happened without me thinking about it being so smart mm-hmm. during the recession because it was easier to spend all of my energy online. And even though I was doing two things, one selling, the other helping, and one selling jewelry with the other helping people with their lives, it was an interesting benefit. And then from there, there's a lot of networking. And I think having the business and the blog was easier than just having a blog, perhaps. And I think at the time I was meeting a lot of influence, what, who would become influential? I was meeting friends that were just getting into this stuff too. And they were just starting out along with me, but they did some pretty incredible things over time. And those connections were really fantastic. But like I said, they just started off as friendships. You like design, so do I. Let's hang out and get coffee. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's I don't want to breeze over that point because that's something I did too when I first started. I found people who were at the same level as me and we kind of just befriended each other and then we've been able to grow with each other. This is something that's very common in the online space and hopefully for those of you listening you could see it's not just in the sort of entrepreneurship world but Jess was able to find people who she connected with. I did, you know, me and Derek Halpern and Greg Alsop and or uh, Glenn Alsop and Chris Ducker. We all kind of just together helped each other out along the way and you can grow kind of exponentially together by, you know, creating those teams, I guess you could say, or your buddies online. I think that I think that's really important to do. Do you have any 
tips for people who are just starting out with blogging and who want to utilize those sort of buddy systems to uh, kind of get an advantage over others out there? How, how do you go about doing that like with purpose? I mean, because I know for me it was kind of more organic and it sounds like it was that way for you, but how would one go about doing that on, uh, purposefully? do you think? That's a great question. I think that now, so I have a class called Life with Intention Online and I have a private community. And so I see this happen with my own members of the class. And I think it's really powerful. I think Fizzle does this really well too, to join a group that has a similar thought process or interest. And then to connect within that group with the members of the group, I think is an awesome way to make that initial ask because often people try to reach out to someone who's further along than they are. And it may not be a value add for both people if they're like truly just looking for business advice or connection in that way. But by finding people that are members of something you're also a part of, you're kind of genuinely reaching out because you're both genuinely interested in connecting. So I think that's really helpful. You can do the cold email. I don't think it's impossible to do. I think it's just generally easier the more you have in common with the person you're reaching out to Mm -hmm. for them to want to connect with you. And it doesn't mean they have to be twins with you, but I think they have to see the value of connecting with you as well. Yeah, I think I think that's really important. Finding those small connections uh, to kind of start that conversation is key. And I think going at it with a true intention of actually befriending that person and not just like, hmm, what can I squeeze out of this person uh, to, to help me is is really the 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 underlying factor there that that's that we all need to consider. I mean, just being honest and authentic, and you know, how would you want to be treated, right? So you want to make sure you go into it with uh, just a friendship in mind, I think it's is key. But also, you know, you can make it you could make it around business too, like starting a mastermind group together. Are you in a mastermind group with anyone, Jess? I am not in a formal, like multi-person. What I found is through my show, I've really connected with certain guests in a really great way. And mm-hmm. so we have formed little monthly accountability meetups where we chat with each other. And it's essentially very similar, but it's just done one-on-one. Cool. Yeah, that's what I have sort of with Chris Ducker, except we talk like uh, multiple times a week and we, it's not always about business and you know we poke fun at, fun at each other all the time. But uh, anyway, mastermind group or one person as an accountability partner, it's it's huge. I mean, how important do you think that is for where you're at now? Oh, I think it's really helpful. I don't know that it got me quote unquote to where I am now in terms of, I just took a slower route maybe than other people though. Cause we're talking what's 2016. So this is like seven years now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe it could go faster for other people, but even still I've had conversations with some of my accountability partners that said, you know, you should have this type of offering. And it's something I've never even considered before. And they give me the ropes on how they've done it. And that's been really useful information to apply to my own business. And it has grown, especially recently. I offered a mastermind level to my course because of a recommendation of a friend. So that was an awesome thing that I never would have done had I not had that conversation with her. That is really cool. That is really cool. Okay, so you're running this business, you have clients, you know, you're, you're coaching. Um, I know now that you're doing more than that though. What yeah. was the transition? What made you transition from more one-to-one time-based stuff to sort of more passive income and sort of the, in getting into online courses? Yeah, that's kind of an interesting jump there. So I was coaching one-on-one and then I saw this thing and the ladies of the audience may know what I'm talking about here called Blog Shop. And Blog Shop is this really well-done event that Brie Emery did years ago. I think she still does them now, but I'm not even sure. But at the time, years ago, she was doing these workshops, traveling all over the world, selling out these beautifully curated events, teaching bloggers how to use Photoshop. I saw that concept and I loved it. I wanted to do the same. I decided to take my business coaching on the road, if you will, and did all of these workshops across the country. And I never asked my intuition if that was a good idea. I came from a good place. I knew I wanted to help people and I thought coaching was going so well and I was helping people. So Obviously, I should just keep doing it in this new fancy way. But I was using money. I did several of these workshops across the country. I know what it's like to push and keep going and persevere. I've been doing the business for half my life at that point. But I didn't know if this kind of success that wasn't really hitting when I was doing that type of format was an indication that I needed to keep going or if it was an indication I needed to do something different. Mm -hmm. And I finally, for the first time in my life, and this has been a huge turning point for me, asked my intuition what I should do next. And I heard very clearly it had nothing to do with workshops. And I knew it had to do with the work that I do now with Life with Intention Online and The Lively Show. So when I heard that, I tried initially to take that direction while still doing the business coaching, but it didn't work. It 
what I wasn't getting anywhere basically. And I knew what my intuition had told me to focus on this life with intention work. So I eventually let go of the business coaching. Again, people are like, why are you not doing the thing that's successful? <laughs> like, why do you keep changing on it? But I knew my intuition was guiding me and it was really getting me to this place 10 years later that I always wanted to be when I was in college. So I spent 14 months taking what I learned over eight years of studying that alternative approach to life that's not based on traditional methods of success from business school days. You know, I was trying to figure out that other way. Spent 14 months putting together the frameworks and the process that is involved in Life with Intention Online. Worked with a curriculum designer to make it as powerfully, you know, teachable as possible and then started sharing that with my audience. And at the same time, I started to recognize that the blogging thing, I'll say I didn't have mega success with blogging. My page views rarely got over a hundred thousand page views a month at that previous, you know, business coaching side of things. So it wasn't this huge blog. It kind of plateaued and I was frustrated by that lack of growth after so many years. And so I started to think maybe there's a reason that didn't grow either. Maybe there's a reason both business coaching and workshops specifically and the blog weren't taking off. And the one thing with the coaching was because I wasn't supposed to be coaching on that subject. So that's why when it comes to the blogging, I always wanted to have a show. And I realized that podcasting was getting really popular in 2014. And I thought it would be a greater, more accurate way to convey the type of content and message that I wanted to share all along, which was to have a show. So I started the podcast, The Lively Show, back then. And then alongside both of those things growing at the same time, I really hit my stride. And it's been really exciting and extremely gratifying. I'm so grateful that I get to do what I do today. It's been a long road. I mean, I've just like covered in 20 minutes, <laughs> 10 years of work to get there, but it's really grateful. And I, I'm just so glad that I get to do what I do now. That's really cool. What an amazing story. I think there's a lot of interesting parts to it that, that I want to unpack a little bit. And, and the first one is, uh, you know, first of all, your show is great. I've been on it twice and I've seen just how amazing your audience is. So we're going to get into how you've built your tribe and your community and how you've been able to kind of nurture them. I think you do an amazing job of that. Uh, but before that, you had mentioned earlier how your intuition sort of just told you to go in, into a certain direction. And I think I, I know and I speak for a lot of the audience out there who's listening and they're like, ah, uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of woo woo. Like, I don't get that. Could you share a little bit more about that? Like, how does one listen to their intuition and a lot of times we often feel like we think of stuff and that's not the way we should go but you thought the opposite of that and like you, you said even that was the first time you had listened to your intuition can you can you talk more about intuition in general what does that mean how do we listen to it what how do we benefit from these gut feelings that we have Ah, oh, I love this subject, Pat. I'm so excited to share it on Smart <laughs> Passive Income. So the intuition is that deep, peaceful place. I call it like a water well within typically our stomachs, but sometimes our hearts too. So I wouldn't say that, you know, you could feel it in your heart, your chest area or your stomach, but typically it's outside of your head most of the time. And I would say, especially for men, I found over the years, like gut reaction is something that's really strong. I definitely have a gut feeling more than I have a chest feeling, but some women and men do have the chest, but I'll say it feels this peaceful, deep place of knowing. And that place often in our lives is tapped into every now and then, but it's not tapped into nearly as much as it could be. Instead, we're running the show of our lives through our head. Mm -hmm. And as Albert Einstein says, the intuition is the master and the rational mind is the servant. The problem in our society is we have forgotten the master and we revere the servant. And so what I've realized through a lot of personal journey and struggle, honestly, alongside this business and actually having the faith to keep going when the panic attack set in and when the recession happened and having like, you know, not much besides the $700 to fall back on, it was really hard. And I had to really look at a lot of faith to have I had to have a lot of faith to keep going mm -hmm. in order to go through all of the setbacks and the challenges that came with starting a business with nothing right out of school. And that information that I received from all of that work I was doing personally, I later realized how powerful that was professionally. So there's a peaceful place of knowing typically in our guts. The other voice, that rational mind, uh, that Einstein talks about. I call that the ego. And it's not in the Freudian sense. It's kind of in any sense of like, it's typically the thing that's running the show most of the time. It's the thing that makes us feel superior, inferior, 
better than someone, not good enough, shames us, guilts us, pushes us harder past when it's healthy to do anything. It's the thing that's unsatisfied in most cases and is not at peace. That voice I say feels like a fire hydrant in our in our heads going off 24-7 so strongly that we just assume in our lives that that is true. Whatever it tells us is what we believe, is what we are, is how the reality of the world is. But by understanding the difference, there's a water well with water that's kind of in there chilling out in the water well, not spraying at you constantly. If we're thinking of water as thought, we're so used to hearing the stream coming at us from the fire hydrant in our head that we have no clue that there is a well of wisdom within us Mm -hmm. that has wisdom we're not thinking about every day because of the fire hydrant spewing. So when I was in that moment, I was standing in a bathroom line at a fancy restaurant in Austin after doing one of the workshops. I asked my intuition what I should do next. And the difference between that and any other type of time I've ever thought about it before then was that I'd always ask a question and answer it with the same voice that asked the question, which was the ego. But I finally waited and re- like heard, paid attention to my stomach and received the words. Now that sounds crazy. And I am, like I said, a business student. I'm not someone super, you know, far on the woo-woo scale. I love the whole scale of woo-woo, but (laughs) I will say that I'm not specifically on any one part of it, but I can say over time, what I realized was one of the most powerful exercises I would encourage anyone to do right now, if you're in your business or your life and you are frustrated and stressed out about something, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a business decision, maybe it's, uh, circumstance you're trying to decide between job careers or going full-time, if you write out the questions that you have, what you really want the answers to, and then wait and pay attention to either your heart, your chest area, or your stomach, and try to wait as if you're asking a friend for the response. You're waiting in that kind of way, like you're waiting to hear something, not waiting to fill in the answer. Then you write down what you hear. And then you have a follow-up question. So half the time I write anything to my intuition, I hear, (laughs) I go, why am I so scared about blank? Half the time, or no, why am I so upset about blank? Half the time, the the intuition's response is because you're scared. And that's like mostly the first response I hear. And then I go, all right, why am I scared? And that's when the good stuff happens. So if we can recognize that there might just be a chance that there may be some wisdom inside of us that we are not actively using on a daily basis, and we try just give it a shot and actually have the patience and curiosity to wait and see if we hear something. That is like amazing. That is so much feedback. And it told me a direction I was not even consciously aware of at the time when I asked the question. And I think that the more we can do that, the more we can feel confident in taking risky, uncertain decisions from a place of peace because the ego hates all of that stuff. It hates peace. Well, it thinks it likes peace, but really it doesn't. (laughs) And it hates uncertainty. And often our intuition leads us into uncertain places. So by tapping in as much as you can, you're going to have as much peaceful confidence as possible, even though the ego will still be upset. Wow. Thank you. (laughs) I know. That's like a blast. (laughs) That was like, whoa. That was that was awesome though. I mean, some actionable stuff that we could do actually. So thank you, thank you for sharing that. I think that's going to help out a lot of people. So re-listen to that if you need to re-listen to it because I think that's important. <laughs> um, thank you, Jess. That's awesome. Um, you had mentioned in in an email you sent to me that uh, you know you wanted to cover a specific topic related to your 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 course, Life with Intention Online, um, and you said thanks to SPI that this was able to happen. So I, I'm I want to figure out what you mean. Uh, by that, and if you wouldn't mind sharing numbers, I mean, not the audience love, loves numbers, but I, I'm interested on like how this course was put together. You said you worked with a with a, a company or a, or another person to help make sure it was built in the way it was supposed to. I'm interested. I'm really interested in that. Like, what does that mean exactly? I didn't even know there were people out there who could do that. And then also, how like what did you learn and take away from SPI to help you with with all that stuff? Okay, so let me start with what I learned from SPI because, and I'll give you the number. So. Since the fall of 2014 with the online course, I don't want to get into super specifics. It's just one of my revenue streams, but I've earned over $200,000 counting this most recent class that I'm running. So thank you 
Pat, for all of your wonderful insights. And I can say thank you to these special guests as well. So of course, I've listened to, I wouldn't say all of your shows because I just found out about you in 2014. I tried to cover as much ground in your archives by that point as possible, but you had many, many at that point. But a few that were super key for me, and if anyone else is creating an online course, there are some I'd like to draw your attention to. Number one is Lewis Howe's episode about webinars. Super huge and so good that I actually bought his book as well on the subject. That was super helpful in terms of how to run a webinar, which could be good for a seed launch or for just actually selling the class itself. Derek Halpern's episode with that sandwich that he talks about, that offer structure, that was really great. Bonus sandwich, yeah. Bonus sandwich. And then Amy Porterfield talking about her launch strategy using Jeff Walker's approach and then Jeff Walker's book itself. So by buying two books and listening to... (laughs) you know, dozens of your shows. And that was really what helped me figure out a lot of it. The other things that your show actually connected me to was the Fizzle guys and Corbett Barr. And those guys are fantastic. I've actually become friends with them now too. And they were super helpful with understanding and teaching me specifically how to make the back end of a program like this. Mm -hmm. And let's see, what was your other question there? You asked, oh, about the curriculum designer. That was a really fun experience. I had a reader who was a teacher and a curriculum designer who also happens to be a personal growth junkie. So she understands Mm -hmm. the content that I teach, but also has experience in the education world, creating curriculums for students. So when she reached out and offered to help me, I knew I wanted to have her in my court to work with and to, because the concepts are huge. I mean, this is changing your whole approach to how you view your life in every area not a subject that's very light. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to find a way to unpack it and teach it in the most compact way possible for our busy lives. And she helped me do that. What were, what's like one or two big things that, that kind of surprised you about working with somebody like that? That I don't want to work with anyone else now. (laughs) I guess it was, I don't know if I got surprised other than I really appreciated that she had a knowledge, like a domain knowledge of what I do specifically. And she understood, you know, this is how the worksheet could look. Here's how we could sequence this so that it makes sense. Here's how we can break it down. So I don't know. I think there wasn't anything surprising. It just was interesting to see how much I really only want to work with her now. Mm-hmm. If, there's, <laughs> yeah. if there's one thing that you learned working with her that you could share with everybody else who's creating courses, including myself, Like, what is it like? Is it tactical things like, oh, you should have this lesson first because it sets up everything else? Or is it like, oh, you need these videos to be less than five minutes? You know, I'm I'm just curious if there's one little tidbit that you could share. Well, I guess when it comes to that, like how long the videos are and stuff, she didn't have thoughts on that. What I got that from was from Fizzle. I think that Fizzle teaches content in the most effective online way I've ever seen. So I really love how they break it all down into modules and small videos. Yeah, so good. So I loved that approach. I knew that was the medium I wanted to deliver in. What she helped me do was A, just be a sounding board. I think it's so helpful for people that have all this knowledge in their heads to have someone else to talk to, first of all, but especially if they have an understanding of just generally like how to sequence content and information and share relevant stories and messages that get your content across in a succinct way possible, that's really good. So I wouldn't say that she did any super, super magical thing, but it was a great experience that I really look forward to doing again with my new course, Work and Worth. That's awesome. And for those of you listening, if you wanted to get those episodes that Jess was listing uh, listing off, obviously you can get them in the show notes. I'll show you the link for the show notes later. But just so you know, Lewis was on episode 28, Derek was on 84, and Amy was on 146. And of course, if you wanted to go to those directly, you can go to smartpassiveincome.com slash session and then that number. So again, that's 28, 84, and 146. And then of course, the, the cool cats over at Fizzle uh, smartpassiveincome.com slash fizzle. Okay, uh, another question for you. I had mentioned your amazing tribe earlier and I'd love to tap into how you're able to nurture them because, I mean, there's a few shows where I'm on as a guest and I just see the audience explode. Uh, you know, Shalene Johnson is is one of them um, and, and like I was very, very surprised at how many people in your audience commented and you know on instagram is just so involved and you're talking back to them and it just like seems like an amazing place to be how were you able to create a community with such you know awesomeness 
<laughs> I have to hand it to them. I think that they are just awesome people. And I'm just very lucky that I get to serve them. Honestly, I don't really, I just feel very lucky that they're that awesome. I don't know what I can say. I just no, there's show be up. I mean, I know they're awesome, but I'm like, uh, there's gotta be a way or how, how do you make them feel comfortable? I guess you could say to speak up. I think that's another thing that people have struggles with is, you know, they have a community and those people are probably very awesome too, but they're just not as, as quite as, may I say lively as, uh, as your audience is. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll take it. I love lively people, including my audience. So. <laughs> and that I is your real last name. Yes, That's it is. Cool. That's really cool. I know it's very apropos. So <laughs> I guess I can say that maybe by the content that I share, right. The fact that we go into the deep stuff on the show, the fact that it's not just, um, what they did, but why they did what they did. The guests mm. share so openly and vulnerably on the show that I think that opens the listeners up to sharing their situations and their personal stories and wanting to connect in that way. So that might be part of it. Okay. Okay. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not like feeding them, you know, special food or anything. <laughs> I, I'm just really excited. I pour my heart and soul into the show and they see that. I think that's really part of it well, as I think well. That's what it is. I, th yeah. I think that's really what it is. Um, cause when I listened to the episodes where I was on, I was like, you know, in, in your intro and just listening to some of your other shows too, you know, it's, it's, it's obvious that this is really important to you and that you care. And I think that's, you know, as Gary Vaynerchuk says, caring is really what it's all about. I mean, that's, that's the name of the game. So, uh, you obviously portray that. So thank you for continuing to do what you do. And, you know, the, the other thing that I, I know you are, coming up with or, or, or you have coming out, excuse me, is a, is a book, uh, which is really cool about self-worth and work. So I'm, I want to tap into that a little bit. What is the name of this book and, and what is it about? So great question. So excited to be sharing on this subject. The first thing I'm going to do before I get to the book is a mini course to actually run this through with real people and get feedback that I can incorporate in the book. So I'm not sure on the subject oh, title. Smart. Yeah, I think that's a really great way did, to go ahead. What, what made you decide to, to do that? Like, where did you get the idea? <sighs> Life. I was about to write the book and then I had some circumstances pop up and I had this conversation with an agent and then we were talking about it and somehow it kind of came through the conversation that it could be even better by having all of this field testing and these stories to fill the book from, I've been doing a lot of research already from just interviewing one-on-one -on -one people, but I hadn't really done the process that I'm prescribing in the book with anyone yet in a large group format. So I thought this would be a great way to test run it and then get those feedback, get that kind of library of stories to share in the book itself. Yes. So I'm really pumped. That's going to happen in March. I'm not sure when this episode will air. So maybe people could join in if they're interested in it, but the class is called work and worth. And it's coming from my own realization that I had a working issue. I had this over identification with my self-worth tied to my work. And I didn't know that that could be a thing because no one's talking about that being a thing. If it had been, I would have known I would have self-diagnosed it and <laughs> worked through it. But because I think so many people that struggle with it assume that it's normal, especially in entrepreneurship. I didn't know that I was struggling in the ways that I was struggling. I thought it was normal. So the course that's going to be paid a free course. How's that work? Yes. It'll be an a hundred dollar, like $97 course. It's going to be done in a really fun, interactive lecture format. There'll be two lectures and they'll be recorded for people that can't make them online and a Q and a uh, kind of call as well. And there'll be a workbook for people to use in the lectures and apply to their lives as homework. So it's going to be fun. And really it's going to walk people through the people that are kind of feeling this pain of over-identification, the frustrations that come when you're really tying your self-worth to your work, how to handle that. And ultimately how we can go forward in our lives, understanding that we might always have this tendency to want to define ourselves by our careers or our businesses, but also have that mind space and ability to not live from that place. Though the ego might want us to think about it, we don't have to. We can choose to live in this other way. And so that's what the class will actually be helping people to do. That's really cool. I think that I think that's a really, really smart way to approach a book to get those stories. It, it's it's gonna, that those people who are gonna be in that course, they're gonna kind of be like your launch team for that book too. They're gonna, of course, promote it because they're gonna be involved in it and the testimonials that come out of that, the stories and just, making sure that the, th the book becomes something that is actually 
uh, one that has steps that are actually useful because you put them into action already. It's, that's great. I think that's a, that's a fantastic idea. I mean, I, I did it the other way where or most people do it the other way where they come out with the book first and then have the course come out. Yeah. You know? But this is the opposite, which I think is really, it's, it's really clever. Thank you. I know. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm just so excited to bring this conversation to the table for us to recognize that there are times when, you know, entrepreneurship can be hard. It can be risky. It can be stressful. But how much of that is self-imposed and how much of that is reality? Because I was struggling for six years, always up when the stats are up and down when the stats are down. Mm -hmm. And I was just sick of that cycle. And I finally recognized it for what it was. And I'm so excited to help other people, whether they're looking at stats specifically or not. There's so much self-worth that can get tied up into it. Have you ever struggled with that, Pat? Yeah. Yeah. A lot. How do you deal with it? <laughs> you know, I, I talk to other people. I mean, that's, that's one of the biggest things, like you said, having those accountability partners and people in mastermind groups to share these honest feelings with who bring me back to earth sometimes and help me realize, you know, why um, I'm valuable, even though at, at the time I might think I'm not. I mean, I, I go through these struggles all the time too. And I, I just, a lot of people think that at this level, you're, you're like, oh, everything's perfect, but <laughs> definitely not. Uh, that That's for sure. I, I'm curious, like, how would one, how would you teach somebody, like if you can give us a little teaser, like how would one, you know, ha, ha, how would you teach somebody to handle these ups and downs um, without tying oh. them to, to our self-worth? I love that question because one of the big things, especially if you're super tied up in self-worth and work, is it's easy for that ego, that voice in our head to want to isolate ourselves from negative or downturns in the business. So it wants to have a completely like exponential upswing or a specific amount of growth year over year, right? But the right. truth is, if you look at your traffic stats, it's like the stock market. It's up and it's down. It's all over the place. Generally, there are some big trends. But when we're so stuck in the day-to-day, -day, that specific dot on the line means everything to us. And it's hard to feel like that line's never going to change. Or we want to think if it's up that it's never going to change, but it's going to go down too. And so we have to recognize how do we want to deal with the ups and the downs that are inevitable in every area of our lives, including our business. So instead of trying to inoculate ourselves and never have them, it's about being prepared for them to come and how we want to handle them. Because then when they come, we're not upset. We're not seeing ourselves as a failure. We're not assigning personal blame to it. We recognize it and we can process it from a more powerful place. So one of the things I noticed in my research was that people, when I asked them the question, do you experience more highs or lows more often in your career? Not do they have more highs or lows categorically, but which ones they experienced the longest or the most. Mm -hmm. The people that experienced good things most. That was the smallest group of people, I'll be honest. That was a small group. They tended to say that they had thoughts that would squash the negative things. So they would say, if something bad happened, that tomorrow's another day, ups and downs are inevitable in life and business. It's not what happens to you. It's how you re react that matters. Mm -hmm. They would say all these things that would help cushion the blow. They'd squash the lows. And then they didn't have necessarily those same types of squashing thoughts, I call them. I call them thought squashers. Like they didn't have those thought squashers on the positive. So the positive, they experienced more because they weren't squashing that experience, but they were squashing the lows. Now, the bigger group, majority of people did experience the lows more. They experienced them harder. They may have had more highs, but they didn't experience them as much as the lows because conversely, they squashed the good things. They said, I'm just doing my job. That's supposed to happen. What's next? So when we recognize if we're in that bigger group of people and we're not squashing the negative, but we are squashing the good, even just recognizing that, even just having the ability to realize, oh, I am totally not squashing this negative experience, but I do it all the time when something good happens, can help us to deescalate the situation. Or you can even actively figure out what your mantra is going to be when something negative happens so that you don't take it as a personal or permanent part of who you are. Yeah, I feel like, you know, a big theme here is that we just have to listen to ourselves and be aware that we have a conversation with ourselves going on. You know, a lot of people go through life, and I know I do this every once in a while, without even realizing what we like or dislike or what we're saying to ourselves or how we're reacting to things. We just kind of live. And, yes. <laughs> you know, it's like these conversations, you know, on, on the surface might seem kind of weird or, or different, but when we have them all the time and they're happening all the time, I just think we need to realize what we're saying and how, what that means. And then, and only then could we make change. Am I right? 
Yeah. Once you see it, you can choose whether you're going to act on it or not. Cause that voice in the head is going to tell us a million things, a million miles a minute, a million hours at a time. It's never going to stop. It's like a radio station. Anne Lamott calls it radio station KFKD. And <laughs> <laughs> like that is a nutshell kind of gives you a sense of it. And if we're operating from that place solely, we are not tapping into the intuition, which has this peaceful guidance. It's going to tell us what we need to do next. And I think there are people, even I would say Gary Vaynerchuk is very gut led. He makes a lot of decisions with his gut. And if we are not in that place that we're oper- where he's operating from, like he may not take the down that personally. He just loves the game. He doesn't have yeah. the same issues that I have. So if I get down, I'm like knocked out or I have been before I realized this was an issue. And I could like think my, I can like understand and, and process this in the same ways I've done in other areas of my life. But you know, he's not tied up in this. Like we are, he's like, okay, let's tomorrow's a new round. Let's go at it even harder and let's have fun. And he does not get worn down by it in the same way as the people that might be suffering from it may. And I think that even just seeing people like that and thinking, okay, if I just work harder, that's one of the big things people tend to do when they have this suffering is that they work even harder, but not smarter. They're not really working on key priorities. They're just grinding more Mm -hmm. in ineffective areas. So that tends to look like a lot of hours and almost in a training sense, like a marathon, if you will, it's like an overuse injury. It's not actually helping us get faster or better. That's where I worry a little bit about people who follow Gary you know, and I follow Gary too, and he's always about the hustle, right? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he's hustling on stuff that he knows he needs to hustle with. Hustle just doesn't mean work harder. It means work harder on the stuff that you know is going to move the needle. And that's just what I just want to make sure people understand. Yeah. One of the things about him too is I think we haven't taken into account personality type as much as we could in this conversation of what work means and what it means to succeed and what's really fulfilling. So it is literally like he would do this if he was doing in the 1800s, like at a whiskey shop. I don't know. He would be working hard no matter what he's doing, right? It's not specific, but now he has a platform where he's sharing how hard he works and we're all like following, but not every personality type is exactly his and not everyone will thrive under the same conditions. In fact, it may be a much possibly smaller number, but because we think this is how it has to look in order to have the things that he has, then we think we have to do the things that he does and that we'll feel the way he feels, but we may not feel that way if we're not coming from the same place and having the same experience. I was stressed out and I was working a fraction of what he was working. So it doesn't even matter about how long you work or, you know, it's really how much assignment of priority and personal identification you have with it that really decides whether you're going to suffer when something bad happens. Man, we talked about a lot of deep stuff here today, (laughs) Jess. I didn't know we would go here this deep, but I think it's important, you know, and, um, you know, just, it's all really, really, really important stuff. I think this is one of those episodes that, you know, we've had Dane Maxwell on the show before. I don't know if you've heard him on the episode. I love his show. He, he, he's great. I mean, he's he, he's on one of the most popular episodes, number, number 46, where he talked about idea extraction and building a business from scratch. But he came on again to talk a lot about these these inner conversations that we have. And, you know, as as crazy as he sounded in some parts of that show, it's very, very important. So I'm, I'm glad to have actually talked about a lot of the stuff again today because it's something that we always need to be reminded about, especially – as technology changes, as we get more access to things that allow us to connect with more people, like things are moving really fast. And unless we slow down and listen to ourselves every once in a while, we might we might just start doing things without even realizing what we're doing. So absolutely, as uh, Eckhart Tolle says, if you get the inside right, the outside falls into place. I love that. I love that. It's a great way to end. So Jess, I just want to thank you again so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom and just being who you are. I mean, it's, it's the energy is, is very apparent. I think a lot of people who are going to be introduced to you for the first time are going to, are going to fall in love with you, uh, fall in love with you. So (laughs) where can people learn more about you? Where can people find out more about what you got going on? You can go to JessLively.com and I made a special thing for the intuition for anyone that does want to learn more than just the writing exercise. There's five total things that I give in 60 second videos at JessLively.com slash SPI. So people can go there to get those free, totally free videos that'll help you get started if that sounds intriguing to you. And Pat, I just want to thank you so much. You've taught me how to podcast. I send everyone to your podcasting tutorial whenever they ask me anything about podcasting. (laughs) And I just have to say, I would not be where I am today with the show or with my class without you and your show. So thank you so much. You're amazing. Thank you so much, Jess. We appreciate you and keep working hard. You are changing lives, so keep going. Thank you. Thanks. All right, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Jess Lively. Again, you can find her at Jess 
lively.com. And all the notes, the links, the resources, even the transcript is currently available for you at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 207. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash session 207. Jess, thank you so much for coming on. I know I know you listen to the show, and thank you again for having me on your show twice. We'll link to those episodes too. And just thank, thank you to your amazing community because everybody in there is amazing. Also, I wanna take a quick moment just to thank you. I don't know if you realize this, but you've had, you, the listeners, have made a massive impact on the direction of where Smart Passive Income has gone. Uh, As a result of you, I've been interviewing certain guests that you've recommended. As a result of uh, your recommendations, I've been tackling different topics that are are of high interest to you. Uh, In addition to that, I created a brand new podcast called Ask Pat, which you may have heard of before. And on that show, I answer voicemail questions from you as well. You can actually check that out at askpat.com. But that wouldn't happen if it wasn't for you. Obviously, ask Pat, there needs to be questions in addition to my answers in order to make that show success, and and I'm so thankful that uh, it's there, and I have you to thank for that. I also have you to thank for pushing me to create some online courses to help you through a number of the, of the different problems and pains that you might be having with your online business, uh, the, the scaling of it, just even the start and the process of it. Um, even though there's a lot of great free information here via the podcast, I know, and I know this from my own experience as well, courses can be life-changing because you you purchase a course and you are just in that mindset of actually doing that thing that that course tells you to, to do. And I have a number of different courses available to you if that's the kind of thing you need in order to actually finally start getting results and taking action. So I know a number of you have already taken action, which is fine, like I'm not trying to push these courses on you, but they are there and available for those of you who would much prefer to get that targeted information and the accountability and the hand-holding through those processes. So if you wanna check out and see all the courses that are available to you, all you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash courses. That's a page that's gonna continually grow over time as well, so keep checking back, smartpassiveincome.com slash courses. I look forward to uh, to hopefully seeing you there. Thank you guys so much for your attention and your time here today. I appreciate it, and I look forward to serving you next week. Uh, we have some big news, actually. I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast yet, but there's a new design for Smart Passive Income that is coming your way next week, and next week's episode is about why this design happened because a lot of people are like, Pat, why are you redesigning your website? It's not broken. Well, kind of was, and I'll tell you why how it was redesigned and what the elements were that we wanted to make sure were included in the new design. Plus, a lot of you are gonna likely go, wanna go over and check that out as soon as it's up, but you'll hear about that next week. Until then, keep pushing forward, keep moving the needle, that next thing that you need to work on, just whatever it is that you need to to, to learn, just have it be about that, because that's what's important right now. And uh, here's to you and your, your success. I appreciate you guys, cheers. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point, so I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray, and in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there, because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure and it always finds a bright side. I really love it and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.